0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bytes. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Who was your first leader? Uh, And with a question like that, you you might find it difficult to answer straight away. Uh, It could be your parents. It could be uh, an older brother or sister. It could be a friend, maybe even a scoutmaster. Well, how about your fellow students or, or maybe your teacher? So in a school environment, students can stand as beacons of inspiration and promise. They're often youthful torchbearers of change, the voice of innovation and the architects of a brighter future. But who would mentor them if not for great teachers? Today, as we commemorate World Teachers Day, an annual observance, uh, first mooted by UNESCO and celebrated since 1994 uh, to celebrate and recognise the contributions and importance of teachers worldwide. We're going to be taking this opportunity to acknowledge the significant role teachers play as leaders in shaping the lives of our students. If you have any thoughts you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is You can also get us on X we're at BFM Radio. And joining me in my conversation today today is Cheryl Ann Fernando, the CEO of Pemimpin Global School Leaders uh, on ways to empower and nurture the next generation of school leaders in Malaysia and worldwide. Welcome to the show, Cheryl, how are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Chico Cheryl, how long has it been since I last saw you? It's been quite some time.
0: Seven years. Seven, Seven years. years
1: yes. I, I think that actually the last time I saw you, you were uh, speaking at uh, TEDx. Yes, yes, I was. That was some time. Ago yeah. and, and things have clearly changed since then. What what's happened in that interim?
0: So um, I started. Pemimpin um, which is the organisation that I run now in 2017, mm. uh, 2017 and about 2018 we launched like our first cohort of school leaders where we started working with uh, school leaders from underserved and underperforming schools in Malaysia mm. and since then I mean I remember our first cohort we had about 22 schools and since then we've worked with over a thousand schools in Malaysia supporting over three thousand school leaders and fantastic. teachers
1: fantastic okay. yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Tell me a little bit more about Pemimpin then. How how does it work and, and what's kind of your role in this organisation? Clearly you're CEO, so yeah. you've gone from go to CEO and you, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you wear both hats a lot of the time as well.
0: Yeah, so um, I started the organisation and uh, initially it was started to um, really uh, support the leadership in school. So how can we provide school leaders with the skills, the knowledge and the motivation they need to improve academic performance, to improve student outcomes mm. And um, I think over the years we realised that we cannot just stop at school leaders. So we've also uh, expanded to elevating the teacher profession in Malaysia. Mm. And what can we do? So now we have like two tiers that we work with. So number one is we still run our core programme which is working with school leaders, working with teachers and we also run the Malaysia Teacher Prize uh, to highlight, to celebrate and to recognise outstanding teachers Mm. in Malaysia.
1: When you talk about school leaders, um, be a little bit more specific with me. Who do you mean by that? Do you mean the kind of people running the admin side of things or, or what is it exactly?
0: So we look at school leaders at the school principal And also, um, in uh, a normal uh, public school in Malaysia, you have like the assistants. Mm. So, the assistants in charge of administration, assistants in charge of, uh, um, they call it Hal Ewal Murid, so like student affairs and all of that. And we also look at middle leaders. So, middle leaders are your head of subjects, Mm. uh, heads in charge of different co-curricular activities and all of that. So, these are the two types of leaders in a typical government school in Malaysia. Mm.
1: How difficult have some of these conversations been that you're having with these school leaders? Because I'd imagine that there are places and schools that have kind of been not forgotten about, but they've settled into a way of doing things. And maybe for them, it might be a bit difficult to change the way in in which things are done.
0: Yeah, so I remember when I, when we were first starting, uh, the school leader telling me that they were teaching even before I was born. So like, hmm, Cheryl, what do you know about this? <laughs> like, We've been teaching even before you were born. And, and, you know, I think the idea is to how can we help them to make their jobs easier? Right. So we went in with what we know best, which is technology. Right. We are like, you know, if you have to do like a lesson observation or if you have to do like a, a learning walk, like, you know, you have to observe classes, we'll teach you how to do it with a Google form right so getting them to, getting us to bridge that gap with the school leaders so they don't just look at us and the trainers as like just young people trying to tell me how to do my job. Trying to
1: interfere with what they've done for a while. And
0: I think we go in with a lot of humility, Mm. uh, not trying to like, you know, recreate and all of this, but saying that we are here to learn about this together. And we Mm. know that when we work together, we can improve our Mm. schools. It has been challenging, but I think over the years with a lot of practice and a lot of conversations, we've managed to break that barrier a little bit with school leaders.
1: Because the last thing that, that people want is for somebody to come in and say, we are right and you are wrong, right? That way you're going to end up with conflict, right? Okay, I I guess I want to speak a little bit about... the current generation of, of, of young, pe- us, young people young um, people what do you think is is unique about them right now mm. and what do you think will make them be better leaders in the future what qualities do they have
0: i think when i when we look at teachers like young teachers or like teacher leaders we call them right i think they're not afraid to take risk uh, so they're not inhibited by the way things were has always been done or like i've always thought a certain way and produced re- results i think they're brave enough to explore different things in their classroom we have a teacher that we work with in our middle leaders program he teaches in a school where the students have never seen a swimming pool before so what he did is he got 200 plastic bags to create a swimming pool in his classroom no way so that the students can experience it and every time the student tells him like teacher i've never been to an uh, to a to, in an aeroplane before he creates it That's to brilliant. give them that experience right and he also incorporates like moral values in all of the things that he's teaching that i think these younger generation of teachers are they're not afraid to try something different something totally unimaginable i think that's great right. for
1: right and of course students they, they kind of they're all a broad range we look at mm-hmm. students seven-year-olds all the way at, at primary school all the way to 17 year olds who are preparing for university what sort of relationship does does each age group have um with the concept or the practice of of leadership at school? How does that change over the years? And are some groups easier to lead than others when it comes to them being in the classroom? And why do you think that might be so?
0: Yeah, so I think in my personal experience, I remember the 14-year-olds being extremely difficult (laughs) (laughs) to teach, right? I think it's something, you know, they are like, puberty and like you know something a lot about that and i remember every year wishing that i don't give me the 14 year olds i feel like at 13 they're great at 15 they're great it's just 14 becomes really difficult for them but um i think Teachers in general have also, they've gotten this concept, right? Okay, if you are at form one, I know how to talk to you. And then you hit the mid-year and they're like, "Hmm, I'm not a child anymore, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to change, right? Uh, And teachers have to employ different strategies to deal with students with their different age group. But Mm -hmm. I think most importantly is uh, empowering students. I think my students loved it when I did that. I'm like, what do you want? How can I design this to be meaningful for you? Mm -hmm. I think that really made a lot Mm -hmm. of difference for them.
1: What about, uh, obviously, we? since I've seen you yeah. uh, last week, we've had a pandemic in the middle of, <laughs> uh, of all of this. And obviously, that has impacted not education in a big way, in many different mm. ways. Mm. How have you seen children's behavior change after that period? Because I, when I've encountered kids who had two years or two and a half years of homeschooling, mm. many of them seem a lot more detached, a lot quieter, because they're used to kind of being taught over screens and don't have that interaction. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that, right?
0: So um, I think it was very interesting when they were coming back to schools. A lot of our school leaders were telling us that um, they refused to engage with teachers. You know, they would just be completely detached. And and a lot of teachers, what they did, um, they put in a lot of um, social emotional well-being practices into their teaching. And I think that helped them. So not immediately out of the pandemic, in the classroom and back to your tech textbooks, right? So they are like, how can we, you know, talk about what has happened so far? Um, How are you feeling about it? So they slowly try to, you know, uh, get them into the serious learning Mm. again and I think that was really helpful Mm. for students but I think it has like an enormous effect I don't think we are seeing the full effects yet I think we'll probably see it in two three years time especially for the generation that has completely missed out especially for students that were really left behind during the pandemic.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a good idea to kind of have that buffer period before throwing them straight back into work again because it was stressful for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay uh, I need to take a short break. Folks I'm in the studio with Cheryl Ann Fernando she is the CEO of Pemimpin Global School Leaders. We're talking about ways to empower and nurture the next generation of school leaders here in Malaysia and worldwide. If you have any questions for myself or for Cheryl, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. And just a reminder that we do have an event happening on the 19th of October. If you want to come over for that, it is the Enterprise Breakaway 2023, roaring into the future. And it's happening on Thursday, the 19th, at CCEC at the Vertical Bank of South City. You can win yourself a pair of tickets. Answer this question correctly. A tech startup is considered a unicorn when it hits a valuation of $100 million. Is that true or is it false? Send your name and your email address to 018-789-8899. We're going to take a short break with some ads and we've got some music from Garbage with Special. We'll be right back here on Enterprise Biz Bytes on BFM 89.9. Burger, fries, Milo. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bytes. That was Garbage with Special. It is me, Rich Bradbury. I'm joined in the studio by Cheryl-Ann Fernando, the CEO of Pemimpin Global School Leaders. Uh, we're talking about ways to empower and nurture the next generation of school leaders in Malaysia and, of course, worldwide. And we're doing this uh, to, commemorate, uh, to commemorate World Teachers' Day. Before the break, Cheryl, we're talking about, you know, the uh, age ranges of... Uh, School students uh, from 77 up to 17. Um, I I think now I I, want to touch on the idea of um, the observation of of what happens in society now. Over the past few years, we've been seeing younger people stepping up and, and moving into leadership roles, whether they're opinion leaders or whatever it is. Do you think that opinion? in Malaysian society has changed and how do they react to some of the younger people now who are coming up and who do want to be leaders? Has that changed somewhat, do you think? I think
0: it has. Uh, I I definitely think it has. I think we are also seeing younger school leaders in Malaysia. So previously, it was between the ages of like 50 to like 55 when they are about to retire Mm. uh, or even 55 if they are choosing to retire at 60. And uh, I think now we are getting even younger leaders at like 32, 33, they mm. are all becoming school leaders already and the school has become more accepting towards that because then this these younger leaders have a longer time to make a difference in school. Because right. if you come in at like 55, I think then you only have that short five years to make a difference in school. But I also think for the younger leaders, I think it's going in and acknowledging the experiences that um, the teachers or the other leaders in their school might have. It's not, like we said just now, it's not going in and thinking, thinking, I'm here to change and I'm going to, you know, I know so much more than you because I'm mm. young, but going in and acknowledging the experiences. And I'll give you give you an example. So we work with uh, indigenous schools, with Orang Asli schools, uh, 30 Orang Asli schools in Perak. And I think the kind of experiences that the school leaders have is like dealing with um, uh, elephants that come and destroy the classroom every other week, dealing with the tigers that come and <laughs> attack the school. So these are the things that you only get with experience, you yeah. only know what to do. So how can a young leader come in and like acknowledge that experience and learn from them and then co-create a very positive school environment together? I think mm. that is essential.
1: Yeah, fascinating stories. It's not, yeah. not <laughs> the kind of thing that most people here in KL will have to deal with, of course. Definitely. Those are some great stories. Now, yeah. um, what, when you've kind of been moving around, of course, and you've been looking at places like you say, in Perak, yeah. and you've looked mm. at KL and, and Kedah, mm. I know yeah. you, you've been around. Mm. Do you see Different leadership styles in these areas because of of where they're located and how uh, the kind of students that they have there?
0: Yeah. So I think um, like the indigenous schools that we are in, I think definitely the school leaders needed to focus more on administrative matters. Mm. They needed to focus on getting the students to come to school. Mm. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. So one of the school leaders that we work with, she's like, We only have like 70% attendance, like every day. What can I do? So then we helped her and we worked with her and we were like, okay, the students in her community, in this Orang Asli community, they like dancing and they like uh, singing and they like songs. So what she did is she started a Zumba class at like (laughs) 7am and that increased her attendance by like 90%. So it went up to 90%. So it's recognizing, it's it's helping these leaders recognize the small changes that they can make and helping them to understand the context of the community and how can this change in their leadership. So it's very interesting to see uh, what they focus on. I think leaders in KL tend to need to focus more on literacy. Um, The the schools that we work with in KL, they actually focus on Malay language literacy Mm. uh, because they want their students to be able not just to speak English, but also to be proficient in Malay. Mm. Uh, And in other areas, they focus on classroom practices. So helping them to contextualize to the needs of their community, I think it's very important for Um. us.
1: Now, I I know just this morning, you were having a session about technology, uh, specifically AI within Mm -hmm. within education. And that, of course, is is, is a big topic of discussion right now. And I'm guessing at some point, you've been having discussions with your team and and how this can help Mm -hmm. you out moving forward. Mm -hmm. What kind of approaches have you been looking at uh, to see how AI can facilitate helping these uh, teacher leaders, you know, be better?
0: Yeah, so um, it's very interesting. So the teacher leaders say that, you know, now they can put in like what they're planning for their lesson and then ChatGPT plans it for you, right? But I think then uh, (laughs) it's also understanding how they can now ensure that their lessons are more towards co-creating, more towards building things for their students so that Mm. the students then don't use back ChatGPT on them, right? right? So how can they ensure that it's more holistic and you're giving students an opportunity to be creators of knowledge and not just users of knowledge? I think it's also time for schools and to have that mindset shift towards teachers, they are not the sole owner of this knowledge knowledge anymore. They don't, if, you know, I, I was talking today morning and some schools are like, "Oh, well, we have zero teachers, right? We just, you know, rely on technology. Mm. And in this space, then what is the role of a teacher mm. as a facilitator to help you realise the skills that you need, mm. to give you that motivation and to bring it all together to Mm. develop a very holistic learning environment for the students. I think that mindset is something that we need to start having. The role of a teacher now as facilitators and not just, you know, providers of knowledge.
1: I mean, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I have spoken to teachers, uh, many different kinds of teachers, good ones, not so good ones, people who are passionate, people who just do it because they have to do it. It's the only thing they feel as though Mm -hmm. they can do. And I have spoken to some who almost feel like gatekeepers of knowledge where they will give you the knowledge if they think that you deserve it. You know, um, and that for me seems um, frustrating and it must be frustrating for the students and for the kids Mm. as well. Mm. Do you think then that stuff like AI is allowing uh, it to be a more holistic journey moving forward? Because as you said, you know, the kids will have the same access to the same tools that the teachers will have.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, it's... Only a matter of time where you know the students will then I think teachers have to come to that mindset that my students will know more than me. They will teach the teacher. They will teach you. Can you accept that? And I think my six-year-old sometimes will like share with me some things, and I'm like, where did you find this? And she's like, (laughs) Oh, on YouTube. And I'm like, hmm, okay, how do you deal with this now, right? And I think it's it's accepting that and like, oh great that you know this. So how can we build something together out of Mm. whatever you know? Or how can I further expand on your knowledge? And it's Also that part on that soft skills, right? Mm. I think there are some things that technology will never be able to replace. Teaching a a child the tenacity, grit, resilience, uh, the love for learning. Mm. I think all of this, especially at the foundational years, still comes from a teacher. Mm. Uh, And how can teachers recognize that and not feel like, oh, you know, I'm going to lose my job because of AI, right? But you are still that provider of that skills for for a child.
1: So, you know, teachers are are, our leaders, and then we have the teacher leaders coming after that, and then we have the principals Mm. and and whatever. And and I guess, and now you are a a CEO, of course, uh, another level of a leader of a sort. Do you think it gets easier over time being a leader? Um, And what do you think you would have told yourself a few years ago that you know now? what would you have said to yourself?
0: Yes, yeah, so I, I, I always say this, right? So if I knew like eight years ago with starting the job that it would be this difficult, I I don't know if I'd have taken <laughs> it out. Would I want to do this? I think we've gone through so much. I think the Pemimpin, Pemimpin itself, right? From fundraising um, and running the organisation and someone as a female leader, you know, mm. trying to break through the bureaucracies of the government, uh, you know, trying to get government permission to run our programmes and all that. It's been tough every single part of the journey, right? And I still question every day, like, am I doing this right? (laughs) Am I enough? Uh, But I think over the years, uh, with a lot of experience, it did get a little easier. But I hear this from our school leaders, especially our Indigenous school leaders, they are like, some days it just gets so, I think at the fifth time when the elephant destroyed the teacher's classroom, he's like, why? How do I do this? Right? Is it ever going to get easier? I think there will be days where it will be very frustrating, whether you're a school leader in government school or whether you're a leader like me. Uh, but there are days where you get that tiny glimpse of hope that you are making a difference and something is changing. And I we, mm-hmm. we live for days like that, I mm-hmm. guess.
1: <laughs> so people who are, who are listening right now, they've heard your story. Um, what advice would you give to them? Who... Kids, maybe who are, or, or, you know, teenagers or whatever, who are thinking about getting into teaching as well, mm-hmm. because it's not an easy job. And sometimes it can be a thankless job.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, what would you tell them?
0: Yeah. I think for me, my life com- completely changed when I chose to become a teacher. Uh, I didn't study to become a teacher and, you know, much to my parents' disappointment, I I told them I'll go back to corporate, right? And I never went back to corporate, (laughs) right? So it was always teaching for me. And I think the things that I've seen and the things that I've experienced and the most importantly, the leadership qualities that I gained as a teacher, I think I would have never been able to gain in any other corporate job. I know a lot of young people, they would choose to do like a two years experience in consulting. They Mm. would choose to do two years experience in like other industries. But if you do this two or three years as a teacher, I think the the amount of resilience, the perseverance that you need and all these skills you will never be able to get elsewhere. Mm. So Teach for Malaysia, the fellowship is hiring, uh, is looking for fellows now. So I encourage everyone to really become a teacher at least once in your life.
1: Where can they find out more information about you guys and Teach for Malaysia?
0: So we are at pemimpinjsl.org. We are running the Malaysia Teacher Prize Award Ceremony and Summit on 4th and 5th November this year. Year, so, we, the winning teacher gets 50,000 ringgit. And for Teach for Malaysia, it's teachformalaysia.org as well, so they can find out about the fellowship program.
1: Cheryl and Fernando, thank you very much for joining me in the studio today. Thank you. Folks, if you missed any part of this conversation with myself and cheryl Ann Fernando, she is the CEO of Permimpian Global School Leaders, Permimpian GSL. Don't forget you can catch the podcast on our website or at bfm.my. Or you can download the BFM app. Uh, And Our shows, of course, are on Spotify. They're on Apple uh, Podcasts and other podcast players. Don't go anywhere, though, because coming up after the one o'clock news, it is the Breakfast Grill replay. Climate change is... An uh, existential threat for low-lying states like Singapore, which is vulnerable to rising sea levels and flooding. In addition to the ongoing food and water security channels, how does the Singapore Green Plan 2030 address the myriad of complexities of climate change impact involving multiple stakeholders. Uh, The Breakfast Grill discussed Singapore's sustainable agenda with Grace Foo, the Minister for Sustainability and the Environment. That's all coming up after the one o'clock news here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more
1: stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.